zombie permaculture is the scariest book you'll ever read. I know that's saying a lot, but it's not only a revelation of what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole, it's also true. You can't make this stuff up. Years of research, direct paranormal experience have shown that not only does humanity need to know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole, we're going to need the solution presented in zombie permaculture if we're going to survive it. Once it knows that we know, it's going to come harder and faster for us, and we're going to need to be prepared. Zombie permaculture will teach you what's wrong and how to fix it. It scared me so bad to do the research to corroborate my thesis. I stopped writing for a total of about four years, maybe even five. Trust me, this is not hype. The zombie apocalypse is real. I'm going to read to you a submission that I've just prepared. It's an essay that I wrote uh, years ago, but haven't submitted anywhere, and I've just made some edits to it. Tell me what you think. The Wild Geese. A bubble of light enfolded the dance floor, color 125%, landing on a hundred heads like the soft rain of dust motes. Stunned at the sight, I floated over dry grass to the flat area in front of the stage, just as the marimba band, Balafon, started beating out a new song on their large wood slat tables. The energy I saw shone the color of orange juice and enveloped the crowd in gl of gleeful dancers. I stood there for a rare unselfconscious moment to stare. The spherical group aura emanating from everyone present was eager, easier for me to see at its edges, where it contrasted with the blue sky against a distant stand of Lombardy poplar castles. I had made it to the Memorial Day celebration at Taiyi Winery, a two-hour bike ride out Bell Fountain Road from my home, in time to hear the area's best marimba band. I'd arrived late, but there was just enough time to join the dancers for a couple of songs before the band took a break. Immediately upon arriving, I'd been invited to join a group in the woods. A little shaky from the long ride, I said yes. Maybe I shouldn't have. The little group smoked from a pipe in the dappled gloom of the orchard canopy. One hit lit my return to the open air of the vineyard with hundreds of auras blended into one sky-brushing fat column. The air was warm on my skin, wrapping me in summertime. Everyone in the dance pavilion seemed to be smiling. I immediately knew what I was seeing, due to the numerous experiences I'd had with enhanced visual perception over the past year. This kind of thing came on usually without the aid of mind-altering substances, but this time the pot had flipped the switch. The lights had come on. But suddenly I felt off balance. I wanted to turn away from the social energy coming at me from the bubble of light like an intense gaze. I usually experienced disassociation at moments clogged with multiple things going on around me at the same time. But a diagnosis with post-traumatic stress disorder disassociative response would not come to explain such disorienting sensations for several more years. So I wobbled on my feet, uncertain which direction would offer the most cover. The notes of the exuberant music reached out like friendly hands, and as they held me, I looked intuitively to the trees in the distance to steady myself. 
As I merged with the crowd of dancers, I glanced to my side and noticed I was entering the light enveloping them like a giant bubble. That physical interaction with light confirmed for me that what I was witnessing wasn't a psychotropic hallucination. As I broke the bubble's meniscus, everyone in the crowd seemed instantaneously to pick up on a bump in energy. In the same moment, the band intensified its pounding on the instruments. Some intangible quality gelled then, and the group began to move as if it was one organism, its collective body rippling with surprised delight. Within seconds, an intense white light broke from the sky and descended as a ribbon directly in onto one of the dancers. It was as if some veil had been pulled back like the strength of the group's energetic resonance had given the correct secret knock on the door of the quantum field. I followed the beam of light with my eyes as it descended, and then I did a double take. It was Anton. I had no time to think, yet thoughts raced. What was happening? Was he making the light do that? Had he seen me? Was he moving to be next to me? Had he flipped the spiritual lights on again? I watched him bounce on the opposite side of the disk of bobbing bodies, as if on cue from the light that was conducting my eyes through the unfolding sequence, a train formed, picking him up in the same moment and heading directly to where I jumped in time to the ring of soft mallets on wooden bars. Something extraordinary was happening that I didn't have time to process. Each step unfolded at the door of the next, turning the latch and spilling forth into a new room. My mind worked to understand. Earlier that day, I'd turned in a circle and left a perfect heart of drips while watering potted plants on my concrete back porch. My housemate had called my attention to it, and I knew something special was afloat on the breeze that day because then she asked me if I was going to the Balafon concert. I'd forgotten about it. I knew when I looked back down at the line of water darkening the concrete that something was waiting for me out at Taiyi. At the concert, the white cocoon of light around the one man contrasted with the orange-lit crowd, differentiating him from the rest of the people there. It moved with his body as he made a wide circle toward the crowd toward me. The music bounced, and my amazement made me stand straighter. As he drew near me, he saw me. His face glowed with light, and his smile seemed to say he saw what was happening to us, like I did. Only maybe he didn't see the lights. I never got a chance to ask him back then. Anton had only allowed me to be in the same space with him alone once after we'd first been introduced by mutual friends in the uptown beanery. He'd picked a glorious fall day when the ashes and maples were solid yellow, carpeting the ground outside my place to erase all man-made boundaries in the landscape. He called me on the hall phone in the cooperative student house they had moved into at the beginning of the new school year. One of the other students' mothers had sewn two gigantic foam rounds and donated them to the common area, and to show my guests how comfortable they were, I ran ahead of him and jumped headlong into one of them, landing on my belly. What he did next triggered my disoriented perception of the entire relationship. I disassociated from my body. He lay his out full length on top of me, saying nothing. I couldn't breathe. I waited for him to speak. He must have sensed the awkwardness of the moment, because after a beat, he lifted himself from me. Guilt began to creep into my mind then, like a darkness crowding the perimeter of a candle-lit room. I started to feel as though I had wronged him, but I didn't know what it was that I had done exactly. Not certain what I could say, I invited him upstairs to my study room, which I hoped would provide a more intimate space for us to get to know each other. As I paused at my door, he stepped forward. I instantly memorized the poem that flowed from the marker in his fingers onto my dry erase board. Flies will buzz no more this season, but the rains will keep us all flowing on. I saw something eternal in his spontaneous outpouring. I realized he was a natural poet, and the power of his observation of the season delivered an infusion of life into what had up until I met him been a bland world of other people's games and status as the only alternative to my intellectual loneliness.
I took note of his frame as he stood brazenly to write, and for a moment I thought I saw along the lines of his perceptual field. It was a flicker of gold dust, hints of sailing ships, trips, gazing at a glistening sea from deep in wild jungles, traveling by ribbons of light along rushing creeks. What I saw reminded me of the visions I'd conjured a few short years before. I'd spend high school nights in my bedroom, my flimsy door unlockable, the twin bed shoved into the odd area against my closet, resting directly on the floor. In the darkness of living with my abusive father, I'd spend these moments nurturing something tugging at my soul. I told myself that somewhere in the world a friend was there for me, and I imagined he was sitting with me in the dark, making me laugh until the light came. On reflection, I see that Anton was trying for the second time that evening to communicate, reaching out through the gap that would continually widen between us over the next nine months or so. I recognize, far too late, that every move he made was significant. A tool from a bag of inevitably limited tricks to get the girl. His measured approach was so unlike my failing, flailing experiments. I dismissed each failure as it unfolded, yet mounted, yet mourned it afterward as my own failure, dragging it with me into each new chance he gave me to reach out and complete the connection. Little, the little traumas of failing to reach out when his hand was extended toward me only pulled me farther from the light. In the ensuing months, we had multiple misses, each as excruciating for me as the next, yet I could never pull my chin above the waves of sorrow washing through me like a ghost. I felt like I was witnessing a great door in the sky slowly swing closed. Every move he made seared my brain like lightning. Each look burned my heart. Rooms spontaneously brightened several notches as he walked into them. I began to look for the familiar glow and notice variations in the quality of light depending on whom I was with. As my loneliness grew, so did my newfound gifts of extrasensory perception. I started reading esoteric books to try and understand the miracles that led up to each instance of us running into each other. I wrote volumes in journals, haunted spots of intense synchronicity, and walked through the lonely town with a voice recorder to capture what I was feeling and seeing. I still have the mixtape he'd put into my dual cassette player on his only other visit, this time with his best friend standing by to support him as he gave me a second chance in that cramped room. But the other man threw me off my center, and I was unable to produce the right notes of accompaniment to Anton's poetry. Bob Dylan picked up where Bob Marley left off. Every song burned into my brain in the exact order in which he arranged them on the cassette. That first time he had visited me alone, he leaned toward me, interrupting my nervous shuffling of papers on the floor, and said plainly, I just want to kiss you. I remember these words like I remember the poem he wrote that day and the light surrounding his body at the winery almost a year later. My second mistake of that first visit had been to collapse backward a little as his tongue dove headlong into my mouth. I'd needed support. During that year and the darkness following it, I didn't confide in anyone. Avoiding an unsafe home, I'd become a townie, not leaving for holidays and breaks. I'd leaned back, hoping for something to lean against, like a wall or a bookcase, but there was only the charged air of the room behind me. I've never understood why that one small backward motion carried such weight, but when I add up all his outstretched hands, I begin to see what he was dealing with. The damage had been done long before I'd felt the presence of this friend in my bedroom during my last year of high school. Instantly he recoiled. The hit of pot I'd taken jumbled the room like the papers carpeting my floor. The one thing I don't remember is if he got me high. He was always offering me a pipe after that day, whenever I happened to see him. The misses continued to pile up, one after the other like a tragic cartoon, plunging me over the same emotional cliff over and over like falling in slow motion after tripping over your own feet. PTSD and marijuana, it turns out, don't mix. But I never said no. Always off balance, I learned about my disability too late. 
He never reached out to me without his friends at his side after that, no matter the shining deity singing from his eyes each time we crossed paths. Synchronicity always preceded us being in the same place at the same time, and this fact kept me hopeful. But I carried out our previous broken communications with me like wounds into every new interaction, hovering just outside my body like my own afterlife. I threw a frisbee carelessly one day, accidentally missing his outstretched hands. He exchanged a double fist bump for moral support with the friend at his side, and I remember thinking, how can one frisbee throw gone awry make him give up on me like that? But the presence of those other men, like bodyguards, slowed my limbs like molasses at a fruit fly's feet. I don't know why I couldn't say, bad throw, let's try that again. Each of these false friends he would bring along propositioned me for sex at one time or another during that period, turned to me in empty rooms, or asked to crawl into my sleeping bag in the middle of the night when nobody else was awake. I began to question whether he had stopped saying to them, I want to kiss, signaling that I was fair game, and sending them at me like a pack of dogs. The coexistence of miracle and growing darkness kept me frozen, and their overtures shoved my ability to speak down so far into my throat that I never betrayed my return of Anton's love. Not one word. The dance train stopped in front of me and dissolved as the song ended. He still had a smile on his face from writing it. I don't know if I smiled at him or not, or if we met eyes. The next song started and I recognized it from the cassette tape I owned. I already have a husband. It was the best song on the album, despite the strange title, and everyone dancing dove into the pounding xylophones with new fervor. The crowd jumped in unison, the energy higher than ever. I managed to smile in his general direction as our feet began stomping the hay-strewn ground, and he smiled back. Then I noticed one of his friends next to him, the one who had asked to share my sleeping bag in the middle of the night once. Something shifted then. I looked from Anton to his friend. I suddenly felt confused. I was hit with a strong sense that I was supposed to be doing something, but I didn't have a clue what it was. Just a feeling of being pulled out of myself toward the man I'd shared a mutual crush with since the previous fall. I thought of the water heart dripped across my porch. Wasn't he getting the mystical messages like I was? Of course he had to be. He was here, seeing the miracle, depositing him directly in front of me as if scripted in a movie. Wasn't he? But some horrible mix of disability, drugs, isolation, and dwelling on past failures to connect with this man made me pause. Dancing across from them, I felt afraid to single out the one I loved from the one of many who had tried to take something from me. I didn't know why. My thoughts seemed to cloud over, wrapping my head in a thick blanket. Though it made no sense, it seemed in that precious moment that if I were to make some move, like take Anton's hand, his friend would feel awkward, and that awkwardness was to be avoided. Maybe I felt stuck on this because I had little experience with flirting and dating, no examples to go by, no thought of girlfriends in that moment, and no mother to ask for advice. It was just me out on that dance floor, alone to decide how to respond to these men, his friend looming darkly, and the man I loved literally glowing with the light of God. The sense of pressure to take action filled the air with a strange, strong anticipation. It was just too much for me to take. The vibe clamped my arms to my sides and my lips shut. I waited as if someone might step to, in to help me. Instead, panic began welling inside me like water, threatening to block the air surging in my lungs. And then it happened. All at once, the song ended, and Anton abruptly turned to his friend and in a cold, ugly tone I'd never heard him use before said, Let's go get some beers. Every aura shining on that dance floor collapsed in that moment, the light draining out of his skin and the people around us. As if we hadn't just been dancing together, he and his friend walked past me, leaving me standing by myself on the emptying dance floor. On my bike, riding hard away from sorrow, I finally loosened the heartstrings that had been bound by confusion and fear for nearly a year. 
One thing was clear. I'd been summoned to this last chance to reach through a special portal, but I'd messed up. Again. And now the window had closed. The wrenching in my heart was like the turning of some key, sealing the day's mysterious events forever behind a door in the vast record of time's unfolding. The silence of the ride home was interrupted only by the crackle of electric lines above my head and the rushing of the wind past my ears. Regret drew circles through the hot wind with my pedals, swirling confusion and shame in my wake as I rode. My heart flung itself across the valley. In between tear-soaked gasps, I pieced fragmented thoughts together. Were my soul's mate and I ill-fated from the start? Had I been over-the-top silly to believe the suggestion that a young man raised in a big home in the hills by two still-married parents, and a neglected and abused young woman raised in poverty without a support system could step through the door of love together? Was the unique chemistry of clairvoyance, PTSD, and psychotropic drugs the problem? Would I always be stranded in the trough of the giant wave that had passed me by, wondering whether the crossing of our life paths had been more of a wake-up call than the tragic destiny of star-crossed lovers? Had the universe got things wrong? Snapped out of my reverie, I felt a tap, as if someone was next to me, and I looked to my right. Six wild geese paced me. Soundlessly, they flew in a line parallel to the road, not more than ten feet away and up about five. I jerked at the proximity of wild animals, not because they frightened me, but because I hadn't known they were there. The moment I felt them was the moment they left me. They changed their angle of flight then and began to move away. Something about their bodies, the long necks stretched out in noble grace and the strong wings pulsing through the wind like my feet on the pedal grips of my bike, formed words in my mind. I watched them, the last faint notes of the eternal song I'd heard while the door had been opened between Anton and I, fading on my heartstrings. Wait! Come back! I didn't mean to be afraid of you! But they were already gaining distance. I could no longer see the details of their feathers, the webbing between their toenails, the black and white of their liquid eyes. It has taken me twenty years to finally say the word that came to my mind that afternoon as the geese turned into specks across that special valley. Goodbye. Through tears I commit this true story to ink two decades after it happened and remember it like I am still taking that bike ride. In the same strange way I knew I had to make the trip out Belfountain Road that day so long ago, it is clear to me that my shattered heart has all these years longed for the geese, not the man, whom I never really knew. Those birds shared my very heart for a stretch along that desolate windswept road, and I have missed them terribly ever since they broke from me and flew away. On an August evening, twenty-four years later, I stood on the beach of the Willamette River. Two arrows of geese flew silently upriver, and when I saw them, I said out loud, You are beautiful. I love you. Instantly, they turned toward me and flew in a circle to glide directly over my head in a long line, the rush of their wings loud and breathless, before rejoining their original flight path and continuing up the river together. Meeting Anton opened my gifts of perception like a door. In the years since that fateful experience, I have developed a profound connection to nature into a practice involving art and applied ancient Egyptian physics. Years later, I, I shared a draft of this story with him for permission to, to use his name and finally to ask if he had experienced some part of the mystical events putting us together during that handful of seasons after we met. We met for tea and then walked through a park for four hours, him taking his hat off to reveal a head as bald as his father's and me choosing carefully where I placed my leather-booted feet in the soft, damp earth. He had, it turned out, experienced something similar to what I had. Lying in a field before we first met, he mourned his best friend who'd just been killed in an accident. 
As he looked into the sky, suddenly the universe poured itself into him, erasing all boundaries like that fall's blanket of leaves would later do for me. He felt its entirety as his body. He described an experience highly sought after by mystics the world over, and the goal of an enlightenment intensive I would attend closer to graduation. His communion with the divine was the key that had opened my doors of perception. He may not have seen the light show I did, nor noted the synchronicities and strange energies surrounding our meetings, but he'd tapped into something outside the common range of perception, and it woke me up. As I walked away from him toward my van, I made the usual self-conscious joke about it being piled with what might make for art supplies one day. He said something about friends not caring about that sort of thing. I caught his eyes then, and I knew that even though God had once looked at me from behind them, the seeming darkened path I'd taken away from him was not without the great spirit who had touched us both. Turns out there's a beautiful solution. It's within our reach, and it involves something that I've been doing my whole life. I know this because it's been shown to me through direct spiritual experience, as well as the research I've done. And I can tell you that there is a solution. So after we look at the scary part, I'll show you the amazing, wonderful, exciting part. Humanity has been drugged through the mud for too long. It's time for us to stand up, rise up together, shake off this horrible weight that's been holding us like this down in the mud and step into our evolutionary journey with this earth in this beautiful infinite universe. I wanted to talk a little bit about the freeze damage um, with the trees. So I went around and filled clay pots today and I took a really nice long extended time doing it because I had a little pocket knife with me and I had to keep fishing it out of my pocket every time. Um, but what I did was I did a little, like a scratch test, a proper scratch test with the knife so I could really see if things were alive or not. And there are a few things that survived, but really most of the eucalyptus died. And, uh, the oaks are all still alive. I don't know yet if that's because they were planted later in the season and therefore just haven't had enough time to die yet. <laughs> Or if they're a superior survivor out here, I'm not sure. The willows that I had bought, as I had told you before in another episode, they had actually sprouted in the greenhouse over the winter, even surviving the freeze, which kind of is, that's actually significant. It's interesting. So what I did was I took as many water boxes as I could get from the landscape, you know, that weren't being used, you know, for now, I didn't go out to where the pines are planted, the 10 pines using water boxes. Many of those have died as well, sadly. And I wonder if it was because they were just too tiny saplings. Maybe I need to wait till they're bigger in the greenhouse to put them in the ground. I don't know. They could be, it could be like the creosote, you know, out competing them for water or sending out a toxin in the soil. 
uh, it could have been the freeze. One thing that I did definitely learn from doing this today is that it wasn't necessarily the plastic that I put on things that killed things. Because the one eucalyptus I had in a water box, it died. And so all it had was a tree protector on it, which was, it had many, many open holes in it and was fully open to the sky. And so unless that somehow cooked it, which it wouldn't have because it's been fine in the hot sun for months prior to that freeze. So I think what happened was the freeze killed stuff. So that kind of makes me feel a little better, like I didn't kill stuff, but then at the same time, certain things died. The fig is still alive. The desert willow is still alive. The pomegranates are still alive. The olives are barely alive, but they do, they are alive so far. And I can't tell if the Meyer lemon's alive or not. It's so green and it, it's difficult to really actually get a proper scratch test with the way that the trunk is actually colored green, like the bark or something. So I'm not sure about that one. I would assume it's not alive. I lost the, what was it called? It was like some sort of mimosa, wattle mimosa that I grew from seed. Pretty much all the acacias died, which is really sad. Very sad. I was so excited about them. But I do have two or three, let's see, one, two, well, let's see, one, and then two. I think I've only got two Wiesatch, but they are surviving. Those are from the pods I stuck in the berms. Um... So those are alive. All the mesquites are still alive. Even the ones that I put in that haven't had any source of water, other than like my occasional maybe once a week watering it with a watering can, those are even alive. So I think they're either, I think they're mesquite or they might be, I'm not sure. The Like I had told you before, the three kind of types of seeds that were given to me, uh, I believe one of them was a an acacia. One of them was the... Uh, whatchamacallit, the mesquite, and then the other one may have been a ratama, I'm not sure, so, but that was a few of those I had placed out by the road without any kind of, like, no clay pots or anything, and that one, one of them at least is alive, I, I think, yeah, a couple of the ratamas did die, so it might also be location, but what I did today was I got five water boxes planted with the willow, the sprouted willow cuttings. And they've got about, I would say, three to four inches of fresh green leaves and a ton of um, fairly long roots. I would say the roots are probably in the range of about five to six inches long. And I went ahead and either redug or dug new water box holes. I did not hydrate prior other than to pour water into the planting hole prior to putting the plant the tree in there so because I'm just like you know I'm, I'm kind of winging it this time so many times I've done it correctly and it didn't work so I'm kind of like well you know do I really need to do that so I did pour water in the planting hole I did water the trees in and then a lot of the water boxes have some water in them but they're not full so I have to go around and fill them again for well actually for the first time really I haven't filled them since I originally filled them and one other thing, too, to note that I thought was interesting and worthy of doing a segment on this uh, for a podcast is that the eucalyptus that I had in the water box out by the road, it was dead, but there was like it, the, the soil was very hydrated. It was there was even a toad that had found his way to the water box and climbed down in there and was literally like buried under the box. And the soil was consistently moist around the entire hole. So 
it must have been the freeze or the uh, salt bush that killed this eucalyptus. So I am trying with the willows and I've got five of them in. And what's interesting about the planting and because I had taken, I had talked about this previously that I'd uh, taken and pulled the gully, like kind of pulled a lateral swale system off of the gully on contour essentially. And it was so, it was, I was super excited that I was actually able to do it because I'd been thinking about it for a long time and finally went out there and discovered that yes, I think I can. Um, the proof will be in the pudding when we get it into monsoons again next year. But what I've done is sort of follow that line and it, I didn't even mean to. It basically happened where I had originally had a, I think it's a, an acacia, um, but it, it looked like it was alive in the water box near the road, but teeny tiny had lost all its leaves probably because of the freeze. And I did something kind of weird and bold. I put a willow in the other, like in the same spot, like right next to it, which is probably not a good idea, but I guess I was just kind of like lazy and tired of it kind of in a way. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. Right. Um, so there's that. And then if I, and I was standing way up on the lateral swale system later in the day, like probably an hour and a half later planting these willows. And I looked, I looked back and I realized I could see, you know, the, the willow by the, or the, yeah, the willow that I just put in by the road. And it was this line that I was in. The whole thing was a big old line that a straggly natural looking line that went and connected up to not only the trees across the road from the, down from the willow, but also to the trees on my property that are um, that are just like kind of where they're scattered. And so maybe intuitively, I'm not sure, my line of willows is following this natural, maybe underground creek or something. I don't know. So that'll be interesting to see too. And I did place the boxes in this, the swale, the new swale system. So when it does monsoon, it'll fill, refill the boxes and you know those, those willows will be really happy. They like water. So this is going to be, I think, the perfect pairing, a water box and a water-loving willow. Hopefully it takes because they can grow about five feet a year, five to six feet a year. And I really do want privacy between myself and my soon-to-be-opened B&B, um, you know, units and all that. So, and also I have so many willows, I um, and I do have all those extra water boxes from the pines that didn't make it, so I will be dragging those probably down to the area sort of along where I had been planting the eucalyptus to give myself privacy from the road on the west side where I really feel exposed. And um, those all mostly died. There's like, I think one that lived over there. It's the one closest to my house, weirdly enough. And so doing doing willows along there, there to provide uh, privacy from the road, I think is what I'm gonna do too. So I've got enough boxes, I think that I can do it. And that's about it really kind of interesting just watching things you know watching what's going on my uh, I was talking to my boyfriend's mom this morning over breakfast and she was saying that it was 19 degrees this morning and I'm looking at my my weather app and I'm like that's interesting because it said it was like I don't I think it said 33 or 36 or something like that was what it was at my house and I'm kind of like I so I just asked I was like so is, is your is weather is like the you know, temperature different between our houses because, you know, she's never been to my house, but I was like pointed in the direction of my house. And she she's like, well, we, we're in a bowl. So I guess they are in like a, a bowl of cold, um, like on this on the west side of these mountains. And so, yeah, I, I oh, man, I was like, OK, interesting. I'm 
glad I don't live in that bowl. <laughs> 19. Yikes. So anyway, I'm, I'm trying to learn from this and I think that it's, it's just going to continue to be an experiment until I really can see, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, but yeah, so those species are supposed to be cold hardy warrant a lot of the species. And I don't know if it's, you know, was a combination of factors yet because it's sort of, I haven't been able to really get all the pieces in place to do a proper experiment. So anyway, that was that. I did get some work done today. That was kind of good. It's a Sunday and I just got a nice hot shower and I'm going to take the rest of the day and just try to relax. <laughs> so um, I will talk to you again soon. So I went and walked around to the five water boxes that I planted willows in and they're all still alive. And it's been probably three days, two, three days, and it's been freezing every night. So not only is the water box somehow still keeping the willow alive, so that continual low level moisture, but also the willow is handling the freeze. So I just wanted to report back. That's incredible news. Super excited. I have a bunch more to plant. And I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is take Friday to do that because I'm doing a shift at the gallery tomorrow. I did one yesterday and my opening's on Saturday and then I have another shift on the 31st and I haven't gotten any done on, anything done on the funnel build that I'm working on this week at all, partly because of that. So I'm just going to, I think probably just take Friday get the willow, the rest of the willows in the ground if I can, as many as I can, because I only have so many water boxes. You know, I can probably get most, if not all, of the water boxes. I think one of the pines, the little tiny pine saplings I bought, got sent through the mail. I think one of them lived, maybe. So that's really sad. Uh, but that means I get nine water boxes to try to use for the willows. So... see if I can get it done. And I was going through old novel novels that I kind of started and never edited, never read since writing them. And I read one that I'd written in 2006 and it was cracking me up. <laughs> it, the goal is, you know, you just write as fast, you know, like kind of just go. And I'm normally an editor as I write, so this is not like that. And some of that stuff was so blunt and just so, was from the perspective of a group of kids based on um, childhood, my childhood, people I knew. And it was just starkly funny, like some of the statements and some of the observations were very much like, I mean, because I have a pretty good memory of all that stuff. So like, you know, I remember how I was thinking about those things that happened that I wrote about and it's just hilarious. So that was interesting. And I've got two more that I wrote in different years. And when I have the time, I'm going to go through those. Because today was submission day. I was like basically submitting writing and art and photography to a literary magazine that had a call. And so I revised a chapter from a book I'll be publishing on paranormal experiences I've had. And that um, was submitted. So I revised it. So it hopefully be published. That'd be cool. Um, and then I got, you know, that took me to like, oh, what else do I have, you know? So, it's kind of fun. And 
the shift that I did yesterday resulted in two more sales of artwork. So that was awesome. And um, the number of pieces that have sold, I, I forget the total number, but it's been a very decent um, uh, income for just, you know, the time that it's been up. And people have really responded well to it, so I'm pretty happy about that. And I only have, what's today, 25th, so I only have like the rest of the month. So whatever hasn't sold, I'll be able to take to the other space. That'll be, it'll be more of a permanent space, but it doesn't have anywhere near the traffic that this one space has. So it'll be its own challenge. So, and then uh, the boyfriend and I were gonna do some cool mud work, but we didn't, we didn't end up getting to it. He said, she said it will happen. So we'll get to it, I guess, when we get to it. But I would, I either need to borrow his mud or I was gonna try to go buy mud, but he didn't want to stop and get it. And he was like, you just borrow mine, use mine. And then of course I didn't get it. So the, but yeah, I need to get like his mud to do some stuff. So we'll see. We might just end up doing more of the same pieces that I'll just put into this new, you know, this other space, which is totally fair. But yeah, so that's kind of it for now. Um, I will try to get an accounting of like what has actually survived and what hasn't. I think it's kind of important, but the eucalyptus, not so good. There's like, I think one, maybe two. I've got one pine. Uh, yeah, I don't, my vegetables look good. Like my garlic looks good. My strawberries look good. I've got some weird Chinese vegetable coming up that looks good. I'm not sure how my my raspberries are doing. They don't look good. Then again, they might just die down. I've got a weird ground cover coming in that I like. My lavender looks great. The vines are doing okay. Uh, one of the blackberries looks great. One of them doesn't look so good. You know, the bottle brush is looking all right. Uh, the manzanita died. The fig's good. The two olives are hanging on. I'm not sure if they're gonna make it. The rosemary looks good. Uh, one of the Chinese elms finally did die. I looked into the pear tree and it's still alive somehow. Most of it has died back though, so I assume it's going. But man, what a long, slow death. I don't even know what to do. Maybe I should just hack up those salt bush that are nearby and maybe that'll work. I don't know. Um, it looks like the uh, oleander is doing okay. It doesn't look good, but it's alive. And then the southern wax myrtles don't look good, but they're they seem to be alive, um, and the pomegranates are all alive, I think. And then all the mesquites are pretty good. The acacias are not good. The one Chinese elm is doing great. The aronia is doing fine. Oh, hi, what is that? What are you looking for? What, oh, your toy? Is that what you're wanting? Oh, here, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but my dog is very talkative sometimes. <laughs> it's cute. Um. Trying to think what else I planted. Uh, I mean, all the like agave and weird deserty plants, like the uh, century plants and stuff, those seemed like they're fine. Um, one of the willows that I had planted in the orchard with a clay pot seems to still be alive, which is weird because those clay pots weren't full for periods of time, so it's kind of amazing. A testament to the willow. Willow! Um, and then, of course, I told you about the poor pines. So I think that's, I don't even know that I need to do an accounting now because it's sort of like, I mean, I do want to find out the numbers. I guess I should probably make an effort to go count 
But anyway, um, that's, that's what I know right now and onward as it were. So I thought it was going to be okay last night. It's kind of a hit or miss deal because I was sitting with a group of other locals recently and the topic of conversation was that the weather apps aren't accurate. And so what we decided was to take the nearest sort of, it's really a resort, but like a little town where um, the weather reports, I guess, are accurate, supposedly, and then subtract 10 degrees, which is what I did, but it failed me, and it actually froze, and I didn't get my pipes turned off, and so the water system is completely frozen. I don't know if there's any damage yet, because it's frozen. I can't, like, even turn the handle on the main um, spigot, so it's definitely concerning, but there's nothing I can do until it thaws out. Um, I drove to town today to get, to do my last shift at the gallery where I have, I was the guest artist all month and everything went pretty smoothly except for there, my windshield was kind of frozen with some sort of light precipitation that had happened. And so I realized it had frozen overnight or in the morning, early morning is usually when it's coldest. And luckily I remembered that I had bought this like little defroster fan thing um, for like under 20 bucks to plug into the cigarette outlet. Cause I tried driving once about two months ago and couldn't see, and it was really scary. So, cause my heating system is broken and the mechanic who I'm now not really feeling is so trustworthy. He's, um, the one who basically I went in to get my right front shock slash strut, uh, fixed or added or whatever and he told me I should get all four shocks and struts whatever put on so I was like well you're the mechanic you know what you're talking about so I'll do that so he charged me I think around like three hundred dollars um per I think it was like probably around three or four hundred four fifty something I can't remember now but he did all of them and then what started to happen was three separate times they failed in the back and I ended up having really unsafe driving and ended up not with, you know, not being able to use my van for quite a long time, like weeks at a time I was stranded out here. And he most recently installed, he, he finally told me that he admitted he like contacted the dealership for the first time and asked them what shocks to put on the vehicle. And they told him and he put, he ordered those and then put those on. And the best he could do would, was to say, don't worry, I'm not going to charge you to, to put these on. And he was wor more worried about getting his money back for the shock that had not broken yet that he'd put on that was the wrong shock, the third set of the wrong part he'd installed on my vehicle. And he didn't offer me a refund, partial refund, anything. And then I was getting propane today, um, and he, he, like, I guess pulled up and saw me and was and rolled down his window and was like, hey, and I'm like, hey. And he's like, you know, do you have $160 for this heating, you know, this heater element or whatever, because my heating system is broken now and I'm driving around freezing cold. And he wants me to, to pay him rather than to like acknowledge that he overcharged me around $600 for like, um, you know, two of the installations, assuming this third, you know, this, well, this is the fourth installation corrects the third installation, you know? So I'm kind of like trying to be polite and everything because he just has, doesn't seem to have any clue of like decency or honesty about it. And it's like 
really frustrating to me and I don't want to deal with it because it's freezing. So I just like, whatever. <laughs> I didn't say anything yet, but anyway, so I'm driving to the gallery and I've got this little device and I plug it in and it's like a lifesaver literally because my windshield wipers are rubbing against basically ice and then it's kind of drizzling or um, sprinkling and then the, that that's freezing but then the defrost thing starts to work a little bit so then it's starting to melt a little bit and then I get my windshields actually clear enough to see just on the one side where the defrost thingy is and then I get onto the highway and it starts refreezing and refrogging up and I can barely see it all but then sure enough it kicks in and like this thing clears my windshield and I can see again on the whole drive so it's like got to the gallery got breakfast at the cafe got coffee you know got to the gallery got everything opened thank god the owner had put a real heater in there like a propane but a big you know tank um, heater and so I got that started I was keeping the door closed I had a sign you know letting people know we're still open and all that and I'm sitting there and it's been about an hour and a half and I've been like getting a lot of work done on my laptop which I thank god brought and then um, got a call from the next um, guest artist and she's asking me like when she should set up and I'm like I don't you should probably talk to the owner like I don't really know um, and like she wanted to come in tonight when I was supposed to be when I had, I had planned on taking down my show and she so I basically was just like well I don't you know I, I have to close up and so I called the owner because like I don't want to have to wait late for this person you know um, I need to close when I need to close I have other things I have to do and the owner is just like, nobody's going to come in today. Just go ahead and close up, like close the gallery. And I'm like, really? Okay. Cause I was prepared to sit there all day at a blanket and everything. <laughs> and, um, so she was just like, yeah, nobody's going to come in. The weather's terrible. And so, cause it's, it's really cold out and it's, um, wet and just icy and yucky. So I went ahead and, um, you know, got, um, gas and, they're, they weren't doing propane, so it's kind of like, oh, man, but uh, there's another, there's a place you could do an exchange close to where I basically needed to go, so I got all my show packed up really nicely. It actually went in the boxes that I just had in my car really well, um, and then I drove to the hardware store and didn't forget to go to the hardware store, and as soon as I walk in, the one of the first things I saw were these, these hooks that were just exactly what I had hoped, kind of something like that I would find to hang the, the remaining pieces of the show in this other gallery space I was invited to do a permanent installation in. So that's where I had planned on heading. So luckily I remembered to go to the hardware store. It was one of those days when like you don't forget that thing you need. And then I get to the mini mart that's right next to the new, the, the next gallery. <laughs> um, and uh, sure enough, um, they, you know, I get the propane and everything like that. So that's done. And then I um, but first I hung the show and it it was so weird because the, the pieces that were left over from the gallery exhibit that I had all month fit the, um, the small space I was offered in this permanent gallery location perfectly. Like if I had had one more piece, it wouldn't fit unless it, maybe I could have fit one more five by seven, but it was basically like perfect. So that's kind of weird, right? That's kind of a weird, um, it's almost like it's all alive and it's like conscious and it's like, this is how many don't sell anymore because this, we want to fill this, you know, <laughs> it's just weird. So that was awesome to get that done and to have the right hanging hardware. That would have been, it would have been so much harder without it. It was the perfect hanging hardware. So it was, got kind of lucky, I guess. And, um, so yeah, got all that done, got the propane, um, 
bought like some beer and like random some like dog food topper stuff and went and got home and the little defroster things working pretty well so i think i'm gonna probably just buy another one of those and plug it into my cigarette lighter extender uh, like splitter thing that i have and aim it down towards my feet and call it a day because <laughs> it seems to more or less work to defrost and keep my windshields you know visible like viewable or keep my windshields working and then puts out enough heat to make it so it's like kind of not frigid in the in the cab still cold but it's not like you know really bad and so if it's aiming down at my feet I think that would potentially I'm going to try that because it's like 20 bucks versus working with this mechanic who doesn't seem to have an ethic a professional ethic of like owning up to his mistakes and like refunding someone he didn't do the proper you know he didn't he did a terrible job so I'm probably going to have to have this awkward conversation with him and he's probably not going to give me my money back. Um, so anyway, um, it's kind of interesting to be back in my car again and it's starting to feel like a little bit more like these are the right shocks. I, I can't really explain it other than to say that the vehicle just seems to, it, it feels different. It feels a little bit more like, you know, like it's comfortable almost, if that makes any sense. So um, let's... I guess I'm just praying that these work. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, um, but I'm kind of being in the vehicle, it's kind of like making me aware of the things that need it's need, need attention. And so I'm kind of like making it more comfortable um, working with what I have. So that's uh, done. And um, like I said, everything's kind of frozen. And so I have a little bit of water in my RV tank and I'm just hoping that it warms up enough in the next couple of days so I can actually fill my tank back up because if I can't then I'm out of water and that's not good I might be able to take actually there is a backup I can take four six gallon jugs to the location where they give us free water for you know being residents um and I haven't gotten any in like probably over six months now uh so I could go do that that's most likely not frozen I'll probably call ahead though just to be sure <laughs> And then I can at least pour those by hand into my RV tank. Other than that, I have enough propane. I have groceries being delivered tomorrow. And both animals are good. I let the dog ramble for a good several hours. She just loves being out in the cold. I don't really get it. I'm going to definitely make her sleep in here tonight, whether she likes it or not. And she got all her exercise, so she's good. I didn't get any, but <laughs> it is what it is. And the the work, the remaining work that I did is up in the new gallery space. So I had been waiting to do that and I didn't know how it was going to all happen. But it like it's almost like a force that's bigger than me came today and just made it happen and made it happen really synergistically and what and really well and smoothly. And, you know, like just kind of like despite against all odds kind of thing. And thinking about like how dark it gets early and how horrible the conditions are out and how my van is really not the safest right now. Uh, you know, it it's really kind of cool that I got to leave during the day and didn't have to stay there till 6 p.m. when it would have been dark and driving home in this kind of weather and my dog being tied up all day. And, you know, so just a lot of things kind of I'm sort of seeing the silver lining, the good side of a fairly, you know, challenging situation. The one reason I did want to actually do a segment, though, today 
was because I went, <laughs> I went and peeked into the greenhouse through one of the openings that shouldn't be there. <laughs> and sure enough, both the willows that are in the bucket of water and the willows that are potted are completely fine. They look like it's not freezing outside. It, it sort of boggles my mind. Apparently the hybrids are badasses. And I checked them, I think again yesterday or the day before, and they, all of them, all five that I put in the water boxes are totally alive. So these little badasses could potentially be winners. And I did get another four of the water boxes from where the pines had all died in them, of course, as I had, I'd, I had kind of thought had happened um, really sadly. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to keep trying. I'm just going to keep trying, you know, seeing what sticks. That is uh, Masanobu Fukuoka's uh, ethic or, or like, you know, resolve, I guess. And I, I take that and I'm, I'm going to do some aspects of that, like I'd mentioned previously in this podcast. Um, but uh, I, I completed kind of the privacy screening, I guess, by placing them kind of between myself and my um, ultimate B&B uh, zone. And then what I'll do with the other ones, because I do have, I think, six more out there and there might be one pine that survived. Potentially, I need to go check again. But I'm not doing it in this weather. <laughs> New freaking way, man. I'm hanging out in the RV. <laughs> and barely, like my toes still aren't really warm. It reminds me of Oregon. My feet were cold in Oregon for years. They just never, I could never get warm in the winters. Um, so I'll go get the rest of those water boxes when it's safe. <laughs> and I'll go and put those to the northwest where I want to screen my place from, my compound as I call it, from the road. And if these things can survive this kind of weather, I'll have to see if they can survive the hot weather too. But if they've got adequate moisture and that's what the boxes deliver, I'm you know, like I said, I, I'm I'm a little hopeful that I might have a winning combination. Finally, it was unlikely because willows in the desert; these are not desert willows; these are hybrid Austrian willows. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting them to be able to handle such conditions. So anyway, I just wanted to give you an update that they're just sitting out there in a frozen greenhouse, just looking just totally great. <laughs> Everything else looks kind of like shit. And <laughs> these, these look just amazing. So we'll see. And I'll just keep updating you on that. But that's the situation. I'm hunkering down. I'm on my own. My power did go out. When I got back, the power was out. I have a little, uh, it's a back, one of the, my backup systems, the, propane like those little canisters uh like a liter or whatever they are I have one of those in the battery shed and I had unfortunately not turned it on this morning it, it just slipped my mind so I did turn it on when I got back around maybe I was back like at 12 30 or so and so who knows how long it been on it had been off it did the the app I have the smart BMS app didn't really do the trick and it, but my system was beeping like my inverter in the RV was beeping really loudly and then I kept looking over and seeing the clock was coming on and going off and going on and going off and that's the main way that I tell if my power is out or not it's just this plug-in you know digital it's, it's basically my CD player but it has a clock on it um, so anyway, that's, I, I thought to myself, well, maybe if I go try it one more time, it seems like it's trying and maybe the heater's working and it's, you know, it's got the batteries going again. So I went out and I tried, you know, a few more times with the app and finally it kicked in 
and started charging the batteries again. Um, however, it is extremely overcast. So, and I believe it was overcast yesterday as well. So it's just an interesting situation. And I'm just hoping for, you know, a break in the weather soon. <laughs> I do have my generator back and I don't know how to use it. So I will have to figure that out potentially. But I do have a five gallon gas can full and people have borrowed. Well, basically my ex-boyfriend had used my gas and never replaced it. What a guy. And so I really should take the other empty one um, to, to town with me next time I go and make sure that's full and I have it on hand because then I can use that, of course, to, you know, power the generator if I need because having the backup systems is extremely important. So that's that. And I think I'm going to go ahead and I don't know if I want to do any editing right now, but I might. I'm a little bored. Um, it is dark and I've gotten as much work as I want to get done today done. And I'm just kind of trying to stay warm. So maybe doing something creative, even though it's on the computer, would be a good thing. So thanks for sticking with me and hearing me out. And uh, hopefully I make it through this storm. <laughs>